Well, they say if you want to start a revolution and create change, you've got to fuck up the system and by creating a new system. And that's what my vote is. And Adam is coming to chat with me about creating democracy in the world that's actually legitimate instead of the crappy one that is in place at the moment. I've done a bit of research on you. Super love. Like you've started a bunch of companies and now you're like, want to start a, a new system of voting that will transform the world, hopefully. That's what we're trying. <laughs> we're not going to die wondering, that's for sure. <laughs> so what? So starting at the top, why why did you care to get into that? So for me, it was driven first and foremost because um, of the kids. So I've got four kids and, mm. and you worry, you know, as a parent, I think it's just natural to worry about the world that they're going to grow up in and you mm. watch that world and it's getting worse and worse. And the people who are um, entrenched in the positions that are meant to be taking care of us are taking care of themselves. And mm. you start to wonder... Um, whether your life experience and networks and capability um, can maybe have a positive effect. And, and I think ultimately, um, yeah, in terms of humanity, yeah, I think all of, for all, all of us, you know, we're sitting here in one of the best cities in the world and one of the richest countries in the world. And, um, you know, you have to acknowledge your own privilege. I think mm. that's really important as human beings. Mm. And so the things that we get to do and, and the opportunities we get to have are not experienced by many other people mm. um, and, and would be, you know, and we take them for granted a lot of the time. And so, so I think you sit back and you go, we have all this, this wealth of opportunity as a nation. Um, what are we going to do to actually make, make the world better? Mm. And so when we started, the intent wasn't actually about a sort of a global uprising. The intent was really around just fixing, you know, our own fucking backyard, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm. Um, and what we learnt uh, almost by accident, so we were invited to go to San Francisco. We were a finalist at um, the Singularity um, University Grand Global Challenge Awards, which at the time I'd never even heard of. So, yeah, well. um, and I actually called my, my partner, my co-founder up and I said, is this spam? Should I just ignore this email? And he's like, no, no, don't throw it out. So, um, so we went over to San Fran and, and, you know, we did our thing, um, got on stage, sort of explained what my vote was about and, and particularly how it worked and how we'd spent years and years designing it. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden people just went nuts, like, and we didn't expect it. And, and, um, to this day, you know, that, that 10 minutes on stage changed our lives completely. Really? Um, so you yeah. had some key people in the audience that could fund well, yeah. it or? Well, no, it wasn't so much about the funding as, um, I mean, it was, it was a few things. Like I literally walked off the stage and within three minutes was asked to do a fast company feature article. And then, wow. and then all of a sudden, you know, over the space of the next three days there, um, 20 people, representatives of 25 different countries came to us and said, how do we open a MyVote chapter? We've got the same problem in our country. What do we do? And then, you know, Hamish and I flying home just thought, well, maybe, maybe we're onto something that's a bit broader than, than just, just Australia. Mm. Um, and over the course of the last, you know, so we came home, we set up the organization as an official not-for-profit here. Um, what year was this? This was uh, two and a half years ago now yeah. in Australia. Um, and then, you know, just... Yeah, there are so many pinch yourself moments at this point. It's, it's kind of life is just a bit surreal for mm. us right now. Mm. Um, so we've got boots on the ground. We have chapters in America, in India, in Scotland, and in Australia. They're the operating chapters at the moment with, with staff and people in all of those places. Um, and to see, and we've still, I mean, the, the, the list of countries that want to start my vote chapters just continues to grow, but we, we can't do everything at once. Yep. So this is where we're now starting to to transition from what was a volunteer workforce for a really long time to, to a paid workforce, which makes a big difference because you can drive so much far further, so much faster. Mm. Um, and, and to actually start to see 
some of those countries really start to embrace and come alive in what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the voice of the people and making mm. sure that there's equality everywhere and no no one voice is more worthy than any other voice Fuck is what yeah. it's about, you know? I love it, man. I think I just I feel like you're my brother just because <laughs> you're doing something that is so important that I care about, like making sustainable change in the world. Is it, the only way to do it is like by making better systems, right? Yeah, like hundred percent. Right. The question is always like from the top down, from the bottom up. Like this is for the people, so it's bottom up, but it's going to manufacture an actual mechanical system that will yeah, be sustainable. The, well, that's right? exactly right, and I think you know the sustainability is is symptomatic of of good design. So, right. um, you know, we have these conversations all the time, and strangely, we're starting to have them with you know heads of prime ministers and presidents and wow. oppos- you know, opposition leaders, and spend a bit of time in Canberra with Bill Short, and recently having this exact conversation, yeah. um, because it, it's one thing to make um, worthwhile and well intended interventions, and so we look around at how other democratic innovations are doing that around the world, um, and and the democratic innovation space is quite a kind of close knit community anyway. Um, we would argue that a lot of those interventions are they're kind of they're single acupuncture pinpricks into the problem. So you're recognising that there's an issue, and you need to put a you need to put an acupuncture point here yeah. because we need to resolve that little bit of tension, and then we need to resolve that little bit of tension, yeah. but. But in actual fact, unless you address end-to-end the entire system, the change can't flourish. So we always say, you know, if you address money in politics um, and you ask the people what they want, but you don't hold politicians accountable, nothing ever gets done. Mm. If you hold politicians to account, but you don't ask the people what they want, how are they making decisions that are actually enacting the will of the people, which is what democracy is about. Mm. Uh, So any which way you look at the various elements that, that make up democracy, if you're not actually doing all of them, uh, you're leaving either gaps for people to take advantage um, or, as, as we would say, and as I told Bill Shorten, you know, you keep standing there asking for people to vote for you at the next election. And by all accounts, barring for you know, some unforeseen disaster of your own making, you'll probably be the next prime minister mm. if the polls are anything to go by for the last, I don't know how many years. Um, but really, you've got to stop calling yourself a democratic Prime Minister, because what you're doing is not democracy. Mm. You're not asking the people. You know, mm. democracy is about enacting the will of the people, and you can't enact the people's will if you never ask the people what they fucking want. So, what did he say to that? Well, I, I think in, I think he, in fairness to him, he he agrees that there is there is definitely a need. Um, he, exp- I think the way he expressed it was, I don't want to misrepresent this, but uh, but my recollection was that. He said, you know, I agree with 60 to 65% of what my vote does, and I think it's a necessary improvement and enhancement of the system. There are lots of rules that we have um, under our system. I can't be lobbied. I disagree with well, so that. No, that, well, that is one. So not, you know, saying that there's no corporate or lobby group money, yeah. saying that there are only two terms, because we're trying to take careerism out of politics. Yeah. Because career, awesome. you know, politics should be a civic service. Yes. It should not be a way for you to build a career yeah. that you then walk into a lobby group later to get a high-paid job. That's not what it's about. Mm. It's about representing your community. Yeah. Um, and then there are other elements within our within our. So you know, one of the things that he takes particular exception to, and, and a lot of politicians around the world do. So this is not exclusive to him. Um, is the idea that we say to to people who are going to run on our platform that you can't talk about, you can't advocate for your own position when a vote is taking place because you can't prejudice the people's view. Mm. So that and that's really hard because we've all got our own particular persuasions and mm. we have our own interests. And and in a democracy, that's the beautiful part of it that we're allowed to have those things that we don't have to agree on everything all mm. the time. Mm. Um, but in a in a well 
functioning, genuine democracy. What you can't have are leaders advocating positions before people have a chance to say what they want. So under our model, as an example, we put the vote up. You can't talk about it before, but afterwards, for example, you could say, look, you know, here was the vote and these were your choices. You guys decided overwhelmingly to go in this particular direction. I personally think that a different direction was the right way to go. But, to but I'm here to serve your, wow. your interest. And so that's what I'm going to do. And, and the interesting part about building a model and an ecosystem like that is that it doesn't just change the system. It fundamentally changes what leadership looks like because the kind of people who are prepared to do that mm. are very different people to the people who are going yeah. into politics now. Totally. And so the, the whole, everything changes yeah, as a yeah. result of that. With the people that you look at and intrinsically trust, like there's, there's some leaders out there that people that I would go, yeah, I trust him to run the world or make the decisions, like having, the, having a, a wise, like I love the idea of just a wise council of like gurus across and, and scientists and spiritual leaders and like a, a council that um that can all like be serving the pre- the president's you know or whatever yeah I, I, I like that kind of thinking but uh, look i i think there there's no i mean the way our model works and i won't get into like i won't bore your poor listeners about that the whole you know the depth of the model um although you can see all, all of it on the website and stuff yeah. but um but it is. I mean, it has an element that talks to domain experts because you need to have genuine expertise. Yeah. From our point of view, you know, one of the key elements that makes us fairly unique globally is that we don't ask binary votes. So we're never asking your vote where it's a yes or no. So currently, if you look at every other democratic innovation in the world, and I mean literally every other one, um, it is just the digitization of the existing system. It's do you support the bill, do you not support the bill? Do you yeah. support the legislation, do you not support the legislation? Yeah. The problem with that is that that fucking legislation is wrong. The question is wrong because it presumes that one side of politics or the other who's written that bill has not loaded it with its own ideological compromises, right? Yeah. The other thing that it does is, and this is a challenge in a two-party system like we have in Australia, is that you effectively, I mean, in some issues, you don't even have two choices because the parties are aligned, in which case Australia has no choice, the public, about where we go. Um but it presumes that the two choices that you know the left and the right are providing to you are the only two pathways available to us mm-hmm. as a people. And so you know, what my vote does is, is say, let's have a different kind of conversation. Let's have a destinational conversation rather than a legislative conversation. Mm-hmm. So every person in the country has a sense of where they want to see their country go, independent of the 2,000-page legal document that is the legislation. Nobody's going to read that. Nobody has time. We're all just trying to get on with our lives, pay our rent, get kids to school, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. But- but people know whether or not X is right or wrong or how they feel about these things. And so what we do is it's kind of like a sentiment test mm. on the priorities that the government should take on each policy. Wow. And then that gives them the direction about what the policy that they write should look like. Right. Um, and so it changes dramatically how that works. And it all has to be, un- in, under our model, it has to be underpinned by fact and research and peer review because we can't be making decisions that are not solutions-oriented, you know. And solutions orientation are about making the best decision possible with the information that is available to us. But if you lead a conversation based on ideology, whether your ideology is the left or the right is irrelevant, um, if you're leading from ideology, you have necessarily then dismissed a whole lot of information that might be factual mm. that doesn't suit your worldview. Mm. And how can we make decisions like that? You wouldn't run a company like that. Mm. You wouldn't run a childcare centre like that. Mm. So how on earth are we meant to be running a country like that? That's insane. It's actual insanity. It is. It's crazy. 
So, and because the, there's lots of people, obviously since Trump, and I think you said on this other podcast that, which I agree with you, that like Trump has accelerated this kind of awakening of of creating better systems. Um, like, and you hear billionaires in San Fran getting together to create new parties and stuff. You know, like political yes, parties. I've spoken to a number of them. Have you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and because that that gives me hope. Like, is it someone like Elon Musk, for example, who I would trust because I know that he cares about sustainability, accelerating the transition to sustainable energies, all that kind of good stuff. Um, someone like Russell Brand, I'd probably trust as well. Or you know, like people. But, but I think, but this is like this is a really important consideration, and so this is a hard thing to hear. So, and sometimes it becomes a hard thing to say. But sadly, I'm getting more used to it. Yeah. The people that this is the thing about democracy, and this is the thing about systems design. The people that you would trust, I suspect, because I'm probably like-minded, yeah. I would probably trust too. Yeah. Russell Brand is, yeah. you know, I have an affinity, yeah. I respect him for many for many different reasons. Yeah. But just because we trust them doesn't mean that the next person walking down the street trusts them. Yeah. And so this is where it becomes the, the system has to be greater than our own personal bias. And so I have my own views my views tend to be left-leaning, okay? Mm. That's a disclosure I've made on many media interviews around the world. Mm. But just because I think something should look a particular way doesn't mean that that's what should happen. And what politics does, and this is a conversation I've had with half a dozen world leaders, well, I would never advocate for X or I would never advocate, that's great, then stop calling yourself a democratic leader because if what you want is to get your way, that is not democracy. Mm. democracy is about giving people choice and absolutely advocate for what you believe. But then when it's time for the vote to take place, just shut up mm. and let them make their own decisions, mm. provide them the facts on all sides of the argument. And if your position is the position of the majority of an informed constituency, great. That's where the country will go. But if it's not, that's democracy as well. Mm. You can't win all the time. You can't always get your way, but we're, we're entrenched to win. Everything's about competition. Yeah. So, and in your the system you're creating, you can only partake in it if you want to run, if you have essentially a neutral face or like you're a facilitator. So it's kind of like, is that, is that kind of the vibe? Because well, so we, yeah, we do like connection of human. I think, I think, look, I think that that is a, um, that's an idealistic and quite, for me, pleasing way of describing it. I, yeah. I don't know that it's entirely accurate. So. Yeah. So effectively what happens, if you decided that you wanted to run yeah. for any election anywhere in the world, and this is where we're different, you know. You Don't mind at, if I do, I'll quote that. You say, I, I, I interpreted that as I should run. <laughs> you can run if you'd like. We'd love to have you run. Get one um, or two votes. So, so any, what we do, which is different to, to political parties, political parties basically say, we will decide whether or not you're worthy of representing our brand in this particular seat. And then based upon the likelihood that we think you can win the election, mm. your seat, mm we will determine how much money we'll give you to do that. Right. We say it's not for us to determine who represents the community. It's for the community to determine who represents them. So anybody can run. We can have multiple candidates running in the same seat as my vote candidates because who are we to say that you're worthy and you're not worthy? So you all put your hands up. But here's the difference. Unlike a political party where the candidates are saying, I'm buying into and I'm prepared to sell on the party's behalf a set of policy outcomes based upon ideology – our candidates or candidates who run um, for parties who are enacting our law, and I'll explain what that means. I've got some exclusives for you later. Mm. Um, what that effectively means is that they're saying, we're agreeing to a set of 17 behaviours that have nothing to do with policy, save for we agree, for example, to not take corporate and lobby group money. 
we agree to not serve more than two terms. And if we do serve two terms, we'll serve a third term as a mentor to the next generation coming through. We agree to not advocate our own positions when a vote is taking place. We agree to adhere and protect, as Mm. your representative, the majority will on every policy issue, Mm. no matter what, whether we agree with it or whether we don't. Mm. But our policy majorities are 60%, not 51% or 50 plus 1%. So we have to have a 60% mark to get to a policy position, which when I started this seven odd years ago, every political professor in the world that we spoke to said was not possible and go home and pat you on the head and nice, but it'll never happen. We've had six votes in Australia. We've never had less than 60%. Mm. Our last vote had 88% support around a frame because of the way that we do it. It's completely unique, um, which is why now everybody's coming to us, working with the United Nations. We're working with universities all over the world. We're working with the governments all over the world because people are saying you guys are doing what it actually should be impossible. Oh, amazing. Um, and so... When you ask those things and you have these sets of behaviours, the constituency can now look at their, their candidate and say, well, I don't know necessarily the path that you're going to take, but what I do know is that I'm going to get a say on every one of those choices. And what I also know is that you're going to be bound to the majority of what, you're, what this constituency wants. Mm. That's fundamentally different. Mm. That's a completely different way of deciding how um, we, the direction that we go, which is what we're trying to do, that, you know, democracy is about community decision-making and mm. politics is about power. They're fundamentally different things. Oh, that's a f- great to put it like that. It's clear as that. Politics is where we're going wrong. Yeah. <laughs> democracy is for the people, the people's power. And it, but what's gross and annoying is like the, the politics like posing as democracy and all the posing that they do. But that's, I mean, that's what we all... The, the most frustrating thing, I don't know if you've seen Adam Curtis's docu on... Um, Hypernormalization, no, and, and it's it's powerful and eerie. But it's basically like how blatant we're lied to. We know we're being lied to, but still we're not doing anything about it. And so that's why things like what you're doing is like it's rising up with the people, creating systems. Because the the biggest thing from the little research I've done is just we just need new systems. Because the systems are completely shoddy well, and outdated. Well, that they're outdated. That's the thing, you know that mm. they. They were designed at a time where the world was fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my grandmother just turned 101 years Whoa. old last week, week and a half ago. Go her. Um, and, when you know, when you talk to her about the world that she grew up in, everything's changed. Like literally everything you can think of is different. Leisure, um, work, communication, um, transport, travel, e- everything in the world is different. How we eat, what we eat. Um, and yet the political system when she was born, is the same system that we're using now. Mm. And so you start to go, how could you possibly expect that set of governing principles that was designed for a world that no longer exists Mm. to still deliver what it was intended to deliver to us today? Mm. It's it's fucking lunacy, right? Mm. But the vested, the people who have the power to change it have a vested interest to leave it as it is. And what's worse is that there is an interrelationship between a whole range of systems that are protectionist. So the politicians protect the media, the media protects the banking industry, the banking industry protects the politicians. Fuck yeah, and those things have to keep going. Now, this, isn't, this isn't, no, well, this is the thing. So, like, it's not an anti capitalist rant, right? So, I, I've <laughs> sounds been, like it to me, and I'll <laughs> jump on that shit. <laughs> no, look, I, I've been, I, look, I was in and business for a great. long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not, it's not great. This is a thing. Oh, oh, it's, backtrack. It's ca- not. Capitalism is, <laughs> capitalism is, um, is sick, uh, yeah. just like democracy is sick. They, they one. went, a certain way delivering real value and outcome for a long period of time. 
but they no longer serve the purpose for which they were intended. And the consequence of continuing down the road that we have means that we will actually make things continually worse. Mm. And so we, as the next generation of people who can do something about this, have a choice to either just walk blindly into what, what's happening yep. or actually stand up and go, you know what? Not on my fucking watch. This isn't going to happen. Wow. We're going to we're going to fix this now because if we don't do it, the reality is the next generation will have nothing to play with. There'll yeah. be nothing to yeah. do because it will have gone too far. And and this is the thing about Trump. You know, the problem with Trump in America, it's not a left and right problem. It's not a Republican and Democrat. Trump is a fascist. That's the problem. So it's not that you go, oh, we hate the GOP or or I'm a blue or progressive supporter. That's an entirely irrele- irrelevant conversation. The fact is he is destroying democracy every day by virtue of his actions. Mm. And, and independent of the policy, attacking the judiciary, attacking the media, not disclosing his financial interests, allowing to have financial benefit while in office. These are fundamental tenets of the American system, which the party is prepared to endure because it serves a policy purpose. Mm. So as a people, the Americans need to sit back and go, this is actually no longer what America was about. You know, when the Founding Fathers 230 years ago wrote the Constitution, and this, you know, for me, this is my new pet sort of intellectual project at the moment. Because you're doing a lot of work. <laughs> um, we're doing a lot of work there, yeah. um, and I'll be back there in four days' time. But um, it, it's, I would argue that there is a fundamental conflict of interest now between the American Constitution and American democracy. And that's a very scary thing for Americans to hear. I'm going to get on stage in a few days and say that. Mm. Hopefully I won't get shot for saying it. We'll see what happens. But, um, but in essence, what you have, and I'll use the gun policy debate as an example. So independent of what you believe, the reality, there are realities, practical realities. The Constitution provides a foundational right to bear arms. Nothing you can do about that, right? So if I, if I want to argue that we should change gun policy, that's fine, but you need to accept that the Second Amendment allows you a particular right whether you agree with the right or not. But here's, the, here's where there is a conflict. Here there is a crisis in America. If, you, if the polls are to believe that people on both sides of politics are saying we need sensible gun reform because uh, independent of our right to bear arms, we also don't want kids getting killed in school, fair enough, in a community, that makes a lot of sense. You're in this position now where if you, if you listen to the way that if – you, if you follow the way the political system works – and you follow the Democrat, Republican, blue, red ideological tribalism. The red is saying the priority is protecting the Second Amendment above all else. Mm. In which case you're saying the Constitution be- is the primary the driver. Yeah. The Democrats are saying we need reform independent of what the, the Second Amendment says. So now we're at a problem because that document, that constitution was written to protect American democracy. It was meant to enact American democracy. But if the majority of people, which is what the polls tell you, want some kind of reform, the majority of people want some kind of reform, then you either have to choose between the constitution or democracy. Because if you choose the Second Amendment, you're saying it doesn't matter what the majority want. Mm. And if you choose the majority, then you're saying the Second Amendment no longer is relevant, in which case we need to start revisiting the constitution. Mm. That is a crisis for that country, and nobody is talking about it. Because, mm. I mean, it, obviously, to people like you and me, it couldn't be more obvious that obvi- 
all these systems have to be fluid. All these all these policies have to be fluid. Like because we're, we're going to change our minds and based on w- tomorrow. Well, a we're going to change our minds, but the world is changing at yeah, such yeah. a rapid rate. Yep. You know, if if the laws don't keep up, if the sentiment doesn't keep up, if the representation doesn't keep up, then all you keep doing is entrenching old ideas into new systems that can't keep them. Um, so they can't sustain them anymore. And so you're saying the the bit if you had to pinpoint one area, it's that protection trilogy going on between media powers and no for me the one area look it's it's hard to say i mean there's no question that money in politics is a massive massive issue and it's an issue everywhere in the world everywhere we go everywhere i I talk every system i explore that seems to be an ongoing problem but for me if i had to pick one single thing the one single thing is partisan ideology the idea that a worldview has the answer for everything mm. because that's the us versus them. That's yes. You don't believe what I believe, therefore you're evil, yeah. as opposed to we're allowed to have different opinions about things. Yeah. And equally, yeah. we're allowed to have conflicting ideas at the same time about the same policy. Yeah. So, for example, we always talk about, you know, the example which you've probably heard on my podcast anyway, the interviews I've done, mm. is around asylum seekers. Mm. And so, you know, the traditional Australian conversation around asylum seekers is, you know, do you support Manus and Nauru? That's the only conversation you ever hear. Um, we kind of have, again, we take a macro-destinational approach to these questions. So we would ask a question if we ran an asylum seeker vote, something like this. And we haven't run one on asylum seekers yet, but it would be something like, do you want your government to primarily uh, prioritise uh, huma- a humanitarian approach to asylum seekers or prioritise a national security approach or prioritise an international law approach or a financially pragmatic approach. And then we explain what each of those approaches mean. So if you believe in a humanitarian approach, mm. this is the sort of policy you could support, this is the sort of policy you couldn't support. And so it goes across every one of those frames. But the idea, which is what we have in this system, if you support the Greens in Australia, it's because you believe in taking care as a first priority of asylum seekers. And if you agree with the Liberal Party, then you agree at protecting the borders as your first priority. But the idea that in a human head, you cannot want to both protect the borders and not torture people, it's common sense that you can want both of those things. But our system doesn't allow us to have those choices. Our system says to us, no, 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 you need to make a binary distinction and everything that we do will have to compromise a part of who you are for a different part of who you are mm. and you're going to oscillate between these things all the time. It's no wonder we're so disenfranchised. Like, well, we're we just could, it's, fucking it's, confused. It doesn't make sense, right? Well, it's not human. Yeah. So what we say is we're going to provide you multiple choices and in addition to the multiple choices, we're not going to ask you to choose one of those things. We want you to tell us all or none of the frames that you can live with as a citizen of this country. So on that vote, you can go, well, actually, I like the human, I'm prepared to accept humanitarian, I'm prepared to accept international law. And you can like all of them, you can like none of them, you can like one of them, some of them, whatever. Mm-hmm. And what happens then is you start to weep because they're not aligned to left and right and blue and red you actually start to see consensus and you get, well, 70% of people can live with this and 52% of people can live with that mm. and 80%. And now you go, well, Jesus, Very the vast majority of us can live with this outcome. Let's start writing policy for that because we take the heat out of the conversation and most of us are happy with that outcome. And, and you can present it in a way that we know for sure based on actual facts and actual numbers and actual people's opinions that this is exactly what Australia wants. Cool. Uh, yes, and it's transparent. That's exactly super right. super transparent. Yeah. And then it's accountable yeah. because somebody's going to stand in Parliament and go, yeah. I am bound to the majority position yeah. as long as it's oh. reached 60%. Bloody hell. So it's actually less about the leaders in being anything particular and more about them just being admin. Well, it, it, well it's slightly well, more sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're not technocrats. So, mm. so the intent is what you're looking for in a, a leader that runs on a MyVote platform is somebody who 
understands and is committed to the sentiment of the majority and can sit in a room and look at the legislation and make a determination as to whether or not that legislation is actually going in that direction. Mm. And if it's not, make suggestions to help it go in that direction. So you're, you're actually looking for somebody who is a solutions-oriented sort of thinker, mm. um, but you're not looking for somebody to tell you how to think. You're looking for somebody who asks you what you think yeah. and then can deliver on that outcome. Yeah. So just a, a divine masculine to be of service to humanity. Like that's... And that's essentially what you're actually doing, <laughs> you know. Crying. That's what's you, know, you are. You're actually doing it, um, and it's it's so so cool. <laughs> like it, it just gives you so much hope when you see systems being built that that are, are in alignment with your values and that will fix the world. You know, fix make system make things better. How far away? You know, like it's obviously grown rapidly and you could forecast so much about how much implementation your system could have in, say, just Australia, to be specific for just Australia. How long before, if things keep going at the rate they are or accelerate or whatnot, you can say the variable, before we actually have my vote as the number one system running voting and policy? Oh, in look, that, 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 I, that would be a pure guess. But, yeah, but I'll yeah. tell you some things to... to give you a sense of kind of where it's going. Okay. And then I'll tell you what our 10-year vision is. Okay. So um, this is an exclusive for you. Cool. Listeners out there, oh, pay you. attention. <laughs> um, so we will very shortly announce um, in a press release that we have partnered with a pro-democracy political party in India right. that has signed on to our full platform, full model, full operating rules, um, we, I will spend almost all of August with half a dozen of my team members training 200 candidates who are running at the next election in India. Wow. They officially launched their brand uh, 29 days ago, already have more than a million members in 29 days. Whoa. We are. So a million people will be on my vote. Correct. That's in, bonkers. In one country, in one month, that's Whoa. happened. And we haven't even started the tour yet. So we officially launch, which will be on CNN and India Today, all the major Dude, dailies in August. And then we're awesome. going around the country with those candidates into community to start explaining to them how to get their voice back. Oh. So that's one thing. The next thing, oh. which is another thing that hasn't been formally announced yet. Congratulations, by the way. Massive fucking Thank high you. five. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy about that. Thank you. That's a huge win. Yeah, it's big. Well so, done. Um, I mean, we've still got to get them elected, but it's, it's really promising. Um, and then equally, um, and this is huge, as somebody who lived in America for a long time, which I did. So can, can I just put a pin in that for a sec? So, so with the India example, just quickly, um, how, the, how does that actually get implemented? You know, like who are you needing to convince if, if you've got someone with a million people voting this sophisticated yep. policy-making system, who do, who, do, who do those leaders need to convince in order to run or get in? Well, so, so what will happen is, so we'll get the millions of people onto the platform. Yep. They'll be voting on the policy issues. And then there will be 200 candidates that are running in seats all over India. Gotcha. And we'll be saying, you vote for the candidates who are aligned to this system yes. because they are going to enact your outcome. Yes. So we're hoping to win oh. 20 to 30 seats in India at the next election in 2019. How many total seats have they got in uh, A few hundred. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it, That's huge. Yeah, it, it could be quite significant. Oh. And the uptake of of the model and and again this this new conversation about democracy has generated more than a million members in one month so oh you know and we've God. just 
just started. So, you know, the election's a year away. We're hoping to have tens of millions of people on the platform in India. And why was India, was India particularly easier than others or was it? No, it's much more difficult actually. Is it really? It's really complicated. Yeah, Um, yeah. uh, A, because of language, because there are, you know, there are different, there are 70 plus languages in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, The the system itself, the uh, political system is quite complex. You then have a caste system in India, which makes it more complex again. So there are a lot of cultural sensitivities that for us are quite difficult to understand but mm. but in each of the chapters that we open it's local people on the ground who are who are running those chapters mm. and we don't tell I like how you grouped me <laughs> you said <laughs> us and we won't be able to understand it but truly you understand it all and I'm the one that doesn't <laughs> uh, but it but it's you know it, it, well I meant the white man so so, so yeah, yeah, gotcha. you know we here in Australia um can't be telling Indian people how to run their political system. All we can do is give them the tools to make what they do more democratic. So that's kind of the model. So we've kind of, the big pivot for us in the last couple of years has been thinking or hoping that we, you know, we'd be the Facebook of democracy to going, well, actually maybe we're the Intel of democracy and we're not necessarily the brand that you buy in the store, but we're the thing that powers it underneath. So we're the thing that sits inside that makes it work properly. Um, And so that's that's becoming a clearer and clearer realisation for us as every day goes by. I mean, the Facebook makes sense because I I assume you have a beautiful interface where you can see the policies and it all flow and feel effortless and easy and make sense for the... Any human, yeah, but the difference is, I guess, is in is in the nature of where the brand interacts with with the constituent. So we used to think that you know we wanted my vote to be the brand that every you know that was the trusted source that was, but actually what we're finding just as it's not our party that's running in India, it's not going to be our party that runs in Australia. That announcement I can't quite give you yet, but there's going to be a big announcement coming up around mm-hmm. Australia where a party is going to run on our platform in the same way in India with a high profile series of candidates um, for the next election here. So, but, but they're not, it's not our party. We're not a political party. So we're helping those political parties do it right yes. in the same way yeah. that we're working with governments around the world who are saying, help us have a better relationship with our constituency, yeah. help us be more transparent, help yeah. us be more accountable. Oh um, and so... So there, we don't need to take credit for any of that work. Where If the government is genuinely trying to make their environment better, we will help them make it better. We mm, will give them the mm, tools to do that mm. because our mission is purely to make sure that genuine democracy wins. Yeah. So it's a software for democracy. Like yeah. It's, and, and yeah, it's the chip that you, you plug yeah. in and it makes it all work. Yeah. But but in the in a sense it's it's almost I know it's like because I know that you said that you like after a certain number of years you retire from your position and to to keep true to the yeah. theme and you've got all these beautiful things in place in your company like that um, so the integrity is just uh, Thank <laughs> you, you know like we're trying and and so in that sense it's a bit more than just a piece of software you know I mean it's it's got more of a face and it's got oh, yeah it's not a tech a, I mean we're not a tech company yeah so so the and this you know I've gone to pains for the last year and a half wherever I've had an opportunity to speak to say technology can't solve the democracy problem it's an enabler it helps you do things better more efficiently more transparently more you know you can do auditability you can allow people to have anonymity on the blockchain which we use um, so it, it it is a tool to help you get it better, but it only works because of the ecosystem design, and that has nothing to do with technology. Okay. That's about the rules that are in place, the interventions to make sure that money can't corrupt. You know, the, the, for us in the, the process of creating policy, we have an ethics committee and a governance committee that you have to go through to ever put a vote up. Um, even I, as the founder of the movement and, and, and our board, we don't get to see the vote until 
we're asked to sign it off as the final point of the process right. because we could prejudice the outcome of the vote. We could say, you know what? I don't want that frame. You know, we're doing an energy vote. I really believe yeah, in nuclear yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I want to see that in one of the frames. Yeah. So we don't even get to know what we're yeah. voting on until we have to sign it off before it goes on the app. Yeah. So it's, you know, you have to build those layers of integrity into the system mm. and then you have to live by them because mm. if you don't, the system just simply can't work. Yeah. And whoever takes it on from, from you has room for cheat, which is like the, so to make it that bulletproof is, I mean, obviously completely crucial. And and I suppose anyone that works for the company always have to be screen tested for absolute, um, you know, well, again, authenticity. It's not, well, yeah, I mean, it's what you find, at least in these early stages anyway, the people who seem to flock into the organisation. Okay. Um, yeah, they're believers. I mean, they, they think the system doesn't work. They want to have a more transparent, accountable system. They want every voice to be equal. They want to take money out of politics so that one person can't buy a policy outcome and, you know, just by virtue of the fact that they have a big, bigger bank balance. Mm. Um, so those people are there for the right reasons. And, and we're working, you know, Hamish and I are working now already five years out before we have to leave very hard on, um, it's not quite mentorship, but it's probably closer to stewardship of our senior executive team mm. so that when we leave, we know that we're leaving the movement in capable hands and, mm. and those people understand why we make the decisions we make and where the integrity points are and the mm. things that we're not prepared to compromise on. And, mm. um, and, and some of those things make people in the existing system really uncomfortable. Mm. Mm. I think it's, I mean, so, so beautiful how anyone, cause I can see if I was working in it and I can see your, your vision of it as well as like, how could you not want what the people want? Like if you, any room for wanting to control or manipulate is just so foul and disgusting and gross and just awful when the people are like saying this is what we want. Um, and so I think it will probably make it harder to cheat. <laughs> like for people, uh, maybe not, but like having, having something so transparent will probably spoil people's capability to be a uh, evil motherfucker. Oh, look, I mean, you still got to be vigilant on that stuff. And yeah. so we have lots of operating mechanisms to protect against all sorts of different infiltration from, mm. Mm. you know, trying to prejudice a single vote to trying to get your way and ideologically compromise the board. Like we've thought about all those different things. And but, but that said, um, yeah, I think the more transparent you are um, on everything as an organisation, the better it is for... Um, the public to feel trust. Mm. And part of the mm. problem right now in the system is political parties make decisions that we don't understand, that they don't need to under explain to us. Nobody's telling us how they came to those decisions or why they came to those decisions. There's no ex um, expectation um, from their part mm. that they're going to be held to account. Mm. They can say whatever they want before an election and do whatever they want mm. after an election. And there's a point where, you know, it's one of those things, it's like... A, it's the old, you know, the, the Ford saying that if you ask people what they want, they'll just say they want faster horses. They don't know that their cars are even a possibility. So from our perspective, we're just trying to show people what the possibility is so that the alternative, which was the old system, becomes so abhorrent as an idea because they've now seen what it could become that they go, there's no way we're going back to yes. that. Now we know we can have a voice and people are actually held to account and yeah. people can't buy influence. That of course, that's the yeah, system that yeah. we want. And same, the same movement of vegetarian and veganism as well. It's like similar kind of things. Like, oh my god, this is happening. Um, we can do something about it. Um, what kind of hack proof? I mean, because 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 the it's people out there. The the innovation in hacking is just phenomenal. Yep. So to, to be able to make something in such an important system as this be vigilantly protected. 
What extent do you have to go to for that? Okay, so there are all sorts of different protectionists yeah. there. So uh, I guess the first thing is that everything's built on the blockchain. So at this time, whilst nothing is foolproof and, you know, um, we are as concerned as anybody that the blockchain gets hacked, mm. um, for the time being, the vote going onto the blockchain provides us um, some level of security that the existing system because people have, and you better ultimately cross-reference passport photos of every vote and stuff. So, oh, so, so, that, so that's a different thing. So, so the user ID stuff. There are lots of different ways to do that. Yeah, um, and it's worth saying that again, we're not a technology company. So, about nine months ago, um, we spun out. I don't know if you've heard of Horizon State, but no. Yeah. So, Horizon State are now regarded as well. They're regarded as one of the um, probably top ten or fifteen. Um, blockchain companies in the world now um, and they're the, the the premier digital voting system in the world um and they're, yeah, every literally every 48 hours i open um you know my twitter feed and see that they've won another award or made another list or they're mm. amazing mm. so we we created them so oh, wow. we we spun them out so our cto jamie skeller who's probably australia's leading blockchain expert now um an absolute guru he's a internationally recognized uh, he was on my board uh, and in fact, he he went to one of my early, early talks and heard about my vote and thought, fuck, this is what I wanted. This is what I was trying to do for so long and came in and how can I help you? And I'm a technologist. And, yes. and so we told him what we wanted to do. And he then went and built the first blockchain voting system for us. And then we built the system and the corporate world started going nuts for it and saying, oh my God, we could use this for other things, not just forget about politics. We want to use it for, you know, um, previewing movies in Hollywood. And we want to use it for uh, understanding what our employees want from uh, from a survey perspective. And, and so- we saw all this corporate interest, which we couldn't do anything about because under our constitution, we can't take corporate money. Mm. So we had, a, we had an issue that we had this mechanism and we also recognized that um, the minute we decided, which was about nine months ago, that we weren't going to become a political party because we had intended to be a party and compete against the other parties. Right. And we decided actually it was quite a disingenuous position to have because here I was going around the world saying that political parties and political ideology is the problem and yet we were about to become a political party. Yeah, so yeah. I went back to my board and said, I'm really uncomfortable about this. Yeah. I want to disappear for a couple of weeks and come back with how we might be able to fix it. Um, and I, I gave a white paper to our board, which signed it off, as did our executives, and said, I want to decentralize the entire movement. So yeah. um, so we, I want to build a much more sophisticated platform that allows any individual to run for any public office in the world under a set of uh, functional supports that we can provide them like a party would give them without having to join a party, without having to compromise all of that stuff. So mm. um, that meant necessarily that we would have to either become a technology company because what we needed to build was a much bigger beast um, or make a different decision. So the decision we made once we decided it was actually in the same board meeting, we made a decision to decentralize and about an hour and a half later, we made a decision to spin out a technology company. Wow. So we're a not-for-profit. It was only nine months ago. It was nine months ago. That's bonkers. So, so we spun it out. Jamie then immediately had to stand down from our board because one of the governance rules that we set in place was that nobody could have a decision-making role in, the, in both entities at the same time. So Jamie stood down. We then handpicked the other two players who would become the three senior partners of that, that business mm. and sent them on their way. Mm. Um, I was not allowed in any of the conversations, any of the negotiations between the two groups for obvious mm. governance reasons. Mm. Um, and then further to that... Um, Hamish and I don't own any of Horizon State, not 1% mm. of Horizon State. Mm. So it had to be an arm's length business. And so the way that we set that up was you built, Jamie, you built this piece of technology for us. It has applications outside of politics. We will give you the IP 
to set up this technology company and you go and commercialize and make as much money as you want on a few conditions. The first condition is that exclusively we own the right to the political and NGO space. So if it's in that area, we're the only people in the world who can use the technology and we get to start seeding it. So that was, at least we knew they weren't going to sell to other competitors and we'd find 50 other MyVotes using the exact same platform. Gotcha. Um, Second thing is we become a foundational client, which means what we need for our platform for MyVote to work, you have to build for us. Right. Obviously important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The next thing that became really critical um, is that you have to set up a foundation so that um, in lieu of the IP that we gave you to go out and commercialize, so outside of politics, you go and sell this and make as much money as you can. Good luck to you. We hope you're happy. Yeah. But a percentage, a very, very tiny percentage of everything that the platform makes gets donated back to us as a philanthropic gift out of your foundation every quarter. So the success of the business helps fund the growth of the model, which is why we all started it in the first place. Um, And they can go and make as much money as they want, and that helps us grow. Good partnership. Well, it's a brilliant partnership. (laughs) And in fact, you know, people talk about... um, the sophistication of the political model that we've built, I think the sophistication of the commercial model is just as good. Wow. Um, because it enables them in, to, to grow and own a huge platform and it costs them nothing to get it set up. And at the same time, from our end, um, it enables us to, to grow unlike any other political movement in the world, underpinned um, by you know a cryptocurrency, which is going nuts. So mm. it's, it's been really interesting. Jeez, it's so, so, so sophisticated. <laughs> well, it's a complex problem, so it yeah. needs, you know, unfortunately, a semi-complex solution. Yeah. And, what, and sorry, because uh, I cut you off, what was the second thing you oh, so this, So this, I'm, I'm really genuinely, like, this is one of those you call your parents and go, you would not believe it, <laughs> um, which I do quite a bit Should we get them days. up? Yeah. Um, oh, you already have. So, yeah, I already have. This they know. So, um, so uh, a couple of, of my team members and I will be heading to the States, um, on Monday, so it's what day is it today? Thursday. So in, in four days, we're yep. heading back to the states. We're doing a variety of things there, but um, probably the most significant um, and of, of note for my vote as a movement is that uh, we're part. You know the Never Again movement, which is the anti-gun movement. So particularly um, Emma Gonzalez, mm. uh, David Hogg, who are icons of America now in that you know school shooting environment, um, uh, Marcel McClinton. So those three are the kind of big names in that space. Mm. Um, they are running in partnership with CNN. Um, in Houston on July 8, uh, a massive um, gun conversation, gun policy conversation on all sides. So the NRA will be there, Republicans will be there, Democrats will be there, um, uh, sort of existing elected officials from both sides, Mm. um, as well as the Neverland kids, David and Emma. And and so we have now partnered on that event with CNN. Wow. So we will be on stage speaking with David, with Emma, with the Republicans, with the Democrats about how my vote is going to, we're going to run a national vote for all of them. Whoa. um, In November on gun policy using our model. Um, which is massive for us, That's like just huge. massive for us. Um, and, and even, you know, to some extent... So many people will sign up for that. Well, I mean, and we're hoping we, it will be tens of millions. And with the promise of, like, if we get so much, so much certainty, we'll be able to change policy? Yeah, so, so what our understanding from, from the kids who, are run, who run that, those movements and are running the event, they have been meeting with legislators on both sides for the last few weeks. Yep. The legislators are saying, if you can get traction in the community on this vote, we will use it as the basis by which we'll start writing legislation. Dude. So that's, that's what of we're... Of course they want that, you there. Of course they want you. Well, you know, I don't know. To be honest, like, it's a bit scary to, to know 
that we're going to get on stage in Houston to talk about the gun problem in America as Australians. Because they, you know, they would well, rightly to, you, say, "Well, you know, who the fuck are you to tell us what to be doing can, with guns?" Yeah, um, give the old John Howard story. Well, you know, no, but we'll see, well, this is the thing: we're we're not there to tell them what to think, and we're not tell them we're not there not. to tell them how to vote. Yeah. What yeah. we're there to do is to say, you need to have a different conversation because the conversation you're having is tribal, and it's I either love guns or I hate guns, mm. and in fact, you have a constitutional right to guns. So the question is, how do you marry that mm. with the other things that are a priority mm. within and the your community? multi-pillar approach of like, yeah. dialing that one. Up that now nah, yeah. a little bit, yeah. and so that's what we're doing. So you know, our, the whole movement that we're going to do there is you know hashtag change the conversation, which is our, our new sort of global positioning. Yeah, um, and it, and it is. It's about communities having a different kind of conversation about how to deal with really difficult, entrenched problems. May that's so cool. It's exciting. That's super exciting. So when's that actually going to happen? So the event, the first event is on July 8th. July 8th. Yeah. So, so that's the event in Houston. Um, we'll be there. There's a press conference on CNN there on the day with, with all of those people. Um, and then the vote is going to be in November. Holy moly. That's massive. So people will just be gathering around that, signing up. Your, like your system or between July and then August in India and then November... Like that month, you you must have built your database. I mean, you know, your server size. Well, it's look I, again. That's a Horizon State problem. That's not a oh, problem yeah, anymore. Is, yeah. Um. And you know, they need to deliver on the technical side. Yeah. We need to deliver on the on the the model side. Um. But yeah, look, we we don't know how successful these initiatives are going to be. We're yeah. really enthusiastic about what they could be. Yeah. Um. And we're you know we're seeing particularly with you know a million members in thirty days in India, we're seeing the kind of traction that we would want to see. Yeah. Um. I suspect the the gun policy conversation will attract a bit of attention, yeah. um, particularly given that David and Emma and Marcel and the, and CNN are a part of it massively. Um, well, I mean, and they're just I think people are so attracted to it because they know that oh, well, I'm going to sign up because it's a system that works. I mean, for me, if I, I'd sign up, but I'd also want it to be a f- somewhat effortless process. Yeah, so the, the UX is in- critically important. Um, and, and Jamie Skeller, the guy I was talking about before, uh, that's his expertise. He's a UX expert. Mm. Um, so, so you know, he's really mindful. Of, it needs to be intuitive. It needs to be beautiful. It mm. needs to be easy. Mm. Um, at this stage, as I said, we've done six votes. Um, on average, to go through the process is taking about six minutes. So we think that's um, bearable given oh, the complexity of the, the information. Yeah. Um, we've never... So the other thing is that it's six, it's six odd minutes but um, you can go further if you want. So whilst we offer the minimum amount of frame, so information for each frame, um, we have never had a vote that we've offered less than 150 international research reports that sit Whoa. underneath, and that's all available free to you. So it's free to, it's free to join. It's free to download. It's free to vote. It's free to be a candidate. It's free to read the data. This isn't about making money. This is about creating democracy, genuine democracy. Mate. It's amazing. I'm thrilled. It's so nice. I love hearing this. <laughs> I'm glad. I can see how happy you are. It's it makes so me nice. happy. Yeah, it does because it's just like, it's just like, oh, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It feels like, oh, man, there's some smart motherfuckers out there like yourself make an actual change and I can relax a little bit more. <laughs> well, well, you know, it, it still requires people to stand up and join know, it and do it. But, but yeah. I'm not even going to vote. I'm so relaxed. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I think like anything, there's, if, if you're prepared to, to turn your attention to it and work your ass off for a period of time, you can fix problems. So can we just go in, inside your inner world for a moment, like of, of um, just you as Adam on your own journey in this life? Like what can you... Can you pinpoint some things in your life that either have happened throughout that maybe caused trauma and then 
awakening or like is there any kind of so I'm kind of asking about your spiritual journey yeah. I guess as to why you why you got this level of care and passion and enthusiasm to actualize change in the world yeah um that's an interesting question nobody's ever asked me this in this <laughs> kind of forum before um I think there are probably a few things um so one when I was younger, so I was a terrible student at school, just hopeless, absolutely hopeless. I, the way my brain works and the way this, the school system works, just uh, entirely incompatible. Um, and so, you know, I just scraped through high school, really lucky to get through it, um, and thought, because I, I was lucky enough to go to a private school, um, and my parents worked really hard to do that, and um, there's a whole series of stories behind that that we won't go into in it now, but... Um, but I did really poorly, but all of my best friends at school did really well. And in fact, at that school, you were expected to do very well. And so I kind of, I left, I was in the process of leaving already with this entrenched idea that I wasn't going to add a lot of value and I actually wasn't good enough and, Mm. and I, and I wasn't smart enough. And, um, and so, and also I already knew that I didn't fit in because I didn't fit into that environment. I didn't wear the uniform every day and I didn't turn up to class and I did, I was interested in sport and sport and sport and sport. And that was it. So, So I started my first business straight out of school, like straight out, um, and was just at the right place at the right time. But what was interesting is a couple of years earlier, uh, this was kind of a really seminal moment that, that is imprinted, tattooed in my brain. Mm. Um, I, was, I was one of those kids who just couldn't stick to anything, right? So I just, you know, one day I wanted, I did, you know, dad, I want drum lessons, mum, then I, the next week is piano and then the next week is guitar and then, and I just would never stick and they just keep spending money for, to keep me happy and I would never actually do anything. And I remember quite vividly exactly where I was standing, exactly where my dad was standing and, I, and it was about the drum thing and I said, I want to, I want to learn the drums and my dad who never screamed and was never angry and we had a really like very close home life, mm. Um, mm. he just lost it. And he was like, you never stick to anything and, you know, you can, you will never achieve anything if you're not prepared to see the hardship through and nothing comes easily. And, and he absolutely just gave it to me Mm. and I was beside myself for a week. Like I was just lost because I, you know, the first thought is, wow, I didn't realize dad felt that way about me. And you start to worry about that. Mm. Um, But then the next thing is I started actually thinking about what he was saying and I could identify that he was, it was true. Yeah. Wow. And, And then, so I think what that then da- did for me and for my psyche is to go, no, 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 you're going to stick now. When you start something, you're going to bloody well finish it. Right. And so I think that was really critically important. Um, when I got a divor- my, my divorce, because I've got four kids, two of yeah. them older with my ex-wife and two with my partner, yeah. um, that the divorce, um, the divorce was a, um, a soul-destroying and then rebuilding kind of experience. Mm. Um, not because um, of the divorce itself, because it was definitely the best thing for both of us, but, mm. um, but because all of a sudden I'm a really hands-on dad and I'm, you know, I'm really involved in my kids' lives. And, and all of a sudden the decision that was made to have the divorce was a decision not to see my kids every day. Mm. And so it's one of those things where you go, well, do I endure something that actually doesn't make me happy or, and doesn't make her happy? And maybe in the long term is actually worse for the kids. Or do you make this decision that is probably the best decision for everybody? And so you make mm. the decision. Mm-hmm. But the decision comes with the compromise that says, I don't see my kids every day. Mm. And for six months, I was just, I was fucking floor. Like I was useless. Like I would just lie in the dark on the floor and cry every day, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how could I have made that decision. And, mm. um, and then you eventually realize that in fact, the kids are fine. And, mm. you know, as long as you're both parenting and you, they're the focus and they're the priority, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that was, 
that helped me understand priority probably more than anything. Mm. Um, and then, I, and then the, the other experience of having, you know, I've had businesses where I've been very wealthy. I've, I've made a lot of money and then I've lost a ton of money mm. and then I've made a lot of money and I've lost a ton of money. Mm. And so I think for me, one of the realizations was I was never, it, I was never happier when I had money than when I didn't have money. Mm. I, I, mm. you know, they, they were all part of the journey to understand who I am. Um, and you know, and I'm covered in tattoos as you can probably see, mm. you know, one of them, which is a huge thing for me is a, a big tattoo I've got on my shoulder of a bonsai tree. And the reason I do this, it's sort of, it, it relates to a Zen proverb, um, which says the obstacle is the path. And so particularly while I was lying on the floor for those six months crying in the mm. dark, that was the journey I was meant to be on. And so rather than looking at challenges now and going, oh, woe is me, what am I going to do? It's all too hard. Oh, the government wants to stop us. Oh, they're going to change legislation. Oh, you know, it's too complex in India with 70 languages. I just go, the obstacle is the path. This is the journey. Mm -hmm. The journey is to figure out what the learning is from this experience mm -hmm. so that we don't have this problem again. Mm -hmm. And when you take that kind of approach into really hard life challenges, nothing becomes impossible because that's the lesson you're meant to learn. That's the journey right. you're meant to have. Um, and so, you know, that's profound. Well, I mean, they, these are hard things that you go through in life. Yeah, and and yeah. I've gone through, I can tell you, my life has been a lot less hard than most other people. Yeah, you know, I've had a pretty yeah. blessed life. But, um, but all you can do is extract your own experience and try to make something meaningful from it. Um, and, I, you know, what you can't do is go, well, I haven't endured what you've endured. Therefore, what I've endured isn't as important. In the context of my life, these things have had meaning. Um, and you try and take something from them. But I, can, but I can tell you for sure that the minute I decided to move out of the for-profit corporate world into the NGO space and genuinely sort of as a, as a movement, we just give ourselves completely to this cause, mm. life has never been more beautiful. It's hard, mm -hmm. but it's never been more beautiful because we see what it means to people every day who get their voice back. We yeah. see, as, as we've seen with you today, mm -hmm. you talk about what this system could do and what it means to people every day. And everywhere we go in the world, people are like, oh my God, this is what we've been waiting for. Mm. Oh my God, this system will change my life. Mm. You know, this will take the corruption out of politics or this will mean that we can make better decisions about healthcare and hospitals or mm. this, will, you know, and all of a sudden you go, that's why I get up every morning. That's what it's about. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a journey, but it's, it's a never ending journey. You mm. know, what we've, what we've been through in the last year is different to what we went through the year before, which is different to, to the year before that. And, mm. and for me, you know, I'm still understanding my boundaries and, um, and the things, my discomforts, I'm actually finding the more I'm in a more public space, the more sort of introverted I'm getting. Actually, oh, really? yeah. So I'm really comfortable on a stage yeah. with, 2000 people in front of me, but send me into a party and I'm sitting in the corner on my own. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so that's sort of a learning for that's me yeah. at the moment. Um, and so that's your, your current biggest learning you'd say, or like what's the most, the, the most challenging thing? No, I, I, I think mm -hmm. for me, the, the most challenging thing, which is an ongoing kind of joke in the office is, um, is the balance between being the steward of something, um, centered in humanity and being the revolutionary who's just willing to walk in and pick fights with governments. That's really, for me, that's really difficult yeah. because I have an inclination to go, no, let, let's, you want to go, let's go. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but at the same time, it's no, actually that's not in the best interest of the movement. And, and the movement has to be the more, more important thing than whatever my mm. particular brand of competition is. Mm, that's a fascinating one. I can relate to that one as well. Like the balance between 
biting back essentially and and just transcending that energy and awakening from within and just giving given pure energy you know like yeah. you know sustainable from source energy yeah rather than um because the easiest thing to do is to buy it back is because yeah. you, you're getting chucked all this physical energy like or dirt that lands on you and then you just like respond with it yeah and, and i think it's you know we're trying to or well, i'm trying anyway to pave my own ground with a little bit because mm. i think it's right i mean you know i've got a tattoo along here that says love in love out if you want mm. people to give give you love put love into your life you have to put love out of your life right mm. you have to show people love to get love it doesn't mm. work any other way right mm. so um so i try and remember that all the time and i try and mm. reinforce that sometimes that's harder than other times but um but equally you you kind of you're trying to find the balance between um taking a wise approach to what we're trying to build and then equally allowing people to know that although you're going to be um, as monk-like and zen-like as you can, um, you're prepared not to be. So for ex- like, so when we were with Bill, like kind of mm. the last thing I said to Bill Shorten when we were in, in Canberra with him, mm. um, we said, look, you know, you'll be the, you'll, in all likelihood, you'll be the next prime minister. Mm. The question for you, in fact, the only question for you is whether or not you're going to be the last prime minister of the old system or the first prime minister of the new system. And Revolution, ha- and then you were well, kicked but, out but the this door. Is the thing. <laughs> but how you answer that question determines how we're going to play with you. Yeah. Because if you choose to be a steward that wants to give power back to the people, we will bend over backwards to help you. Mm. But if you choose to entrench your own power base and mm. continue to ignore the people, mm. then we're coming to the table. Mm. So you better be ready for us mm. because we're not here to lose. We're here to win. Yeah, wow. Man, you're a fucking golden Intel chip <laughs> right between the eyes of Bill Shorten. Well, you know, it, it, but, and look, I would have said the same thing to the Prime Minister, but the, interestingly, the Liberal Party wasn't interested in meeting with us. Everybody else in Canberra wanted to sit with us, right. but the government had no interest in meeting with us. Right, yeah. So Threatened. Well, I don't know if they're threatened or, I, I don't know, maybe they just think we're, we're a pipe dream that'll never happen. But yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they're going to be rudely interrupted soon. So. Oh, I sure hope so. That's so fascinating that you, like, because it is a, you have to summon this energy of like, no, that's not good enough. And I stand my ground and we're going to keep pushing forward, you know, like it's, it's, it's somewhat of a intellectual war, like in terms you, of, it's a giant chess game. That's mm. what this is like. And, and for us now, the chessboard, which started in Australia is now a global chessboard and it's mm. really fucking complicated mm. because, you know, the levers that you move in India are different to the levers that you move in Scotland, which are different to the levers of the, in, in, in America. Um, and then back home in Australia. And, and so it's. Dude, you know, your 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 intellectual capability and dexterity in navigating that and oh, adapting, like it's. I mean, I think nature's greatest desire is evolution, and like you, the things, all the things that you say are just like you're you're um, improving your nervous system to be able to adapt to change quicker and quicker, um, in an in an enlightened way rather than a um, a fear protective anything way. And you, it's so admirable that you're creating you know systems that are actually. That's so, um, they've got so much integrity into them. And, and, I, and I really think they will, like, I sure bloody hope, like, I'm pouring my hope into it, but I sure <laughs> bloody hope that they stand strong and just are unshakable. Like, and by the sounds of it, like, you're building it just so well that they're, they're, they're golden foundations. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. But, but it is worth saying, you know, and, and I sincerely mean this, it's not just my intellect. There are lots of incredible thinkers who are part of our movement, yeah. like really extraordinary people mm. who have made it so much better than I first thought of it. Mm. Um, you know, all parts of it have been improved because of the quality of the yeah. people that sit around our tables. Yeah. And, and, you know, whether they're, you know, so whether they're people who bring a particular cultural lens, so we've got ambassadors in the group like... Um, 
you know, Dr. Susan Carland, who adds a really amazing perspective, or, you know, young innovators like Holly Ransom, who's on our board, or we've got the guy who was the head of global growth for Uber mm. on our board in San mm. Francisco. Oh, wow. So, I mean, they, I mean, he is like, these people are global serious, for Uber, serious, serious thinkers. Like, these people are unbelievable thinkers. Wow. Um, and, and that's what you have to do. You know, if entrepreneurship over 20 odd years taught me anything, it's for fuck's sake, surround yourself with people smarter than you. Like mm. you can only do so much. So mm. fill all the gaps. And I have plenty of gaps. I can assure you mm. with really the best people in the world you can find. And if you can convince the best people in the world with all the skills that are necessary to sit at the same table, then there's nothing you can't accomplish. And wow. so that, you know, I've spent the last two years looking for the best people in the world. Wow. And how did you hustle those? Like, how did you hustle that? I Just, think, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I think the vision is such that most people just agree with yeah, what we're trying so. to do. And so if they're at a, they're a point in their lives where they're prepared to give back and have time, and mm. then they come, you mm. know. And I think now we're at a point where there are so many good quality people around the table mm. that they see the other people and they go, oh, yeah, I'm prepared to be part of that party. That's mm. fine. Mm. Um, you know, that group, that, you know, that little fun experiment that's happening over there. And so, you know, the further you go, the easier that becomes. It was mm. hard early on. It took – to get Adam Grenier from, from Uber, it took – like it took nearly a full year to get him. Wow. It took sort of seven to eight months to get Susan Carlin on board. Wow. Um, it, you know, and, and that's, you know, dozens of coffees and chats and, you know, Adam, because of the way he thinks he's one of the best thinkers I've ever met. He, um, you know, he must've asked me a thousand questions, li literally a thousand questions. How does this work? And how do you counter for that, eth that ethical challenge? And, and what if there's no uptake? And what if he wanted to know absolutely <laughs> everything before he was prepared to make a commitment? That's bonkers. The, the, the amount of knowledge he stores in his brain, people like to store in their brain. They're such scientists in a particular area. Right? Um, going back to your, like that personal journey stuff, like I find that fascinating because like I'm going for a point in my life right now where I, I feel like I need that, that, that energy of like, I'm going to see this out. Yeah. And it's just funny. So you're, so you're a teenager when your dad said that to you. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, a, it's, does that, is that still challenging for you to see things out or it's just like since then? No, I think, I think since then I actually, I've gone the other way. So now I, now I stick too long in things that actually aren't so good for me. Oh, right. So I, I've gone too far to yeah, fix yeah, the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so, but that's a learning as well. So at least I'm aware of that. The first step mm. is being aware of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, you know, I talk about this a lot because I give, I give as many speeches these days about entrepreneurship as I do about mm. um about democracy. And so I'm invited to a lot of business schools and give a lot of talks about the stuff, you know, building stuff. I've been lucky that a number of my former businesses, um, you know, you know, in 2010, I was the CEO of the, the BRW fastest growing private company in Australia under a hundred million. And yeah, wow. I've had five companies in the fast 50. And, and so I'm good with the growth bit. I know yeah, how to make things are. kind yeah. of take off, right? I'm sure once they do take off cause I get yeah. bored and then I want to go to the next yeah, thing. But, yeah. um, but you know, that learning and having gone through that a number of times, um, uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, I think certainly when it comes to politics, there are only two things, in my opinion, that great leaders really need to, to have in their armory. Um, certainly the best entrepreneurs I've ever met all over the world. Um, and, and what I'm learning is some of the best politicians I've met around the world. Um, and one of them is a mastery of cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. and, and you really have to understand that the nature of complex environments is that you will be pu pulled in opposite directions at the same time often. And your capacity to understand that that's happening 
and then go, well, given where we're trying to go destinationally, what the most critical point is, mm. sometimes I'm going to need to lean this way and sometimes I'm going to need to lean that way. But most people's natural, and I had this as well when I was younger, your natural inclination is to either be really gung-ho or to be a little bit more conservative and mm. reserved. Mm. And sometimes the reserved works for you and sometimes the gung-ho works for you. Mm. But you have to know at what time to be able to manage that. Mm. The best entrepreneurs I've met are people who can manage that cognitive dissonance because they're so focused on what is best for the outcome. So that's the first right, thing. The it. other thing that is absolutely critical is self-awareness. Because if you don't really know who you are and what your strengths are and to be able to have the self-honesty to go, listen, I'm actually not the person, the best person to do that. You know, I, we're not the best people to build this technology. I'm not the best person to design how to grow this movement because mm. Adam Grenier has done it. Why would I think that I could do it better than he could do it? Mm. So there has to be a level of awareness, self-awareness. Um, and so there, you know, that's the journey I'm on. It's, it's a constant self-awareness journey mm. and it's an experiential journey for me. So I, I'm all about life experiences and I'm all about, um, doing things rather than sort of dreaming about things. And even if it's a little bit dangerous or it's a little bit stupid or I'd rather have the experience and go, wow, I really didn't enjoy that at all, but at least I've done it. Mm. Um, then sit here and, you know, on my deathbed go, oh shit, I really should have tried that. Um, because you only go around once. So, mm, mm. you know, what's the purpose if you're just going to sit on your hands and do nothing? Mm. Well, what's your biggest fear with doing nothing then? The, the, the... Oh, so I have two fears. So there's a, there's the my vote fear and then there's probably a personal fear. Yeah. Um, my, my vote fear is, um, that we're really super successful and we got the model wrong. That's my biggest fear. Right. That people buy in, it doesn't work. take yeah. the journey, and it, it doesn't do what it's meant to do. That's the thing that scares the shit out of me most. Um, personally, and this will sound terrible, I recognize that, but I'm just going to, it's honest, so I'll just tell you. <laughs> My greatest fear, personally, is just to be ordinary, mm. to be honest, mm. because um, I went through high school feeling ordinary mm. for 12 years, or went through school for 12 years. And I know how that made me feel. Mm. And I made the decision that I wasn't going to be, um, I wasn't going to allow my t potential to be determined by other people. Mm. And so to sit back and do things that I perceive to be ordinary um, is very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> Which and is why I pick big challenges and stupid things like yeah. this, you know, like. And and so you feel like your work's. I mean, you could say your work's driven from fear. Then, and if if that if that's your ground motivator, but you don't feel like it's your ground motivator. No, it's not my ground yeah, motivator. Yeah. It's my biggest. It's my biggest yeah. fear. But yeah, that's not what's yeah. driving. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'd probably be completely unsustainable if it was the only thing driving you. Yeah. Because you know, you'll be just completely exhausted correct. after a minute. Yeah. And and look, and it's not. I mean, that, it's also not a, a super productive fear either. I mean, yeah. even if because yeah, yeah. some fears drive you to do to make you better. Yeah. This doesn't necessarily drive you to to be better. Yeah. Um, the fear of being ordinary sometimes drives really stupid decisions. Mm, um, mm. And so, again, self-awareness, why am I making this decision? This mm. is what's in front of me. What's the smart thing to do as opposed to mm, mm. the thing that is an experiential, less ordinary thing to do? Mm. Um, and so, you know, you've got to think about that stuff. And look, I had a pretty wild time when I was younger. Like I, I lived a bit of a life. You mm. know, I had money when I was really young mm. and was able to do some crazy shit that, mm. you know, was, was the things you, you put in the back of the book that you never mm. actually let anybody see. But mm. um and so, like, I've experienced stuff and, and again, you know, I've, I've, I'm have I've at a point in my life now where I'm older. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 
43 in a few months and I've got four kids and I have massive responsibility in, in that world. Um, and so the things that you, you do and the way that you project yourself um, and the way that you protect them um, means you have to make different kinds of decisions. Mm. And so, you know, safety and security for us as a movement is, is paramount at the moment. And mm. so the more, the, the further we go and the more impact we're having, the more dangerous it becomes. And mm. we're well aware of that and mm. we're taking precautions for those things. And, mm. and so that means that you can't be quite as silly as you used to be when you were younger. Mm. Man, it's just been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you. I feel like I can Likewise. keep talking and asking more and more questions, but I don't want to, keep, don't want to run into the night too late. So thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Mm-hmm.